0: Father, we are so grateful that you have uh, sent Jesus, that he came to us, and that he multiplied himself through people, and that even today we we can look at ourselves and following Jesus. We're kind of the multiplication of Jesus coming. We are so grateful. Mm -hmm. Thank you that you love to multiply people. You love to multiply groups. You love to multiply churches. Lord, we are grateful that Scott and Sarah are sent by you sent out from the Sugarland Vineyard to plant Grace Vineyard. We want to receive everything that he, everything you want to say through him to us. uh, Give him the freedom and the power to do that in your name, Jesus. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, Scott. And uh, thanks to River City Vineyard for welcoming us and allowing us to be here and to share and worship with you guys. And uh, it just feels so good to be here, to be um, in a vineyard church. Uh, Over the last couple of months, we've been... Planting a church, so it's kind of a unique experience again for us to come and worship with the vineyard on a Sunday morning, and it, it just feels really awesome. So thanks, thanks for welcoming us. Um, we're excited because we get to live our dream. We get to live our dream and do what, what we really feel that, that God has called us to do. And that's been what we've been doing, is just asking God, God, would you, through us, through our small group of people, through this small church, Grace Vineyard Church, Austin? Would you do something so much bigger than anything we could ever ask for or imagine? Lord, something so big that when we look back, uh, we know that it's, it was only you that did it, God. Because there's no way you could explain that, that we humans did it. Because I'm just not that good of a preacher. And, you know, we're just not, you know, you did it, God. It was all you. And so that's our prayer is that God would do uh, far more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so um, today I want to start... My message with a, with a story. It's a story um, about a man named Alfred Nobel. So, toward the end of his life, a Swedish multimillionaire, Alfred Nobel, uh, he was famous for inventing dynamite and several other weapons of mass destruction. Um, he was shocked one morning to wake up and to read his own obituary in the newspaper. And what had happened is his uh, brother Ludwig Nobel had died in France. And the French newspapers had mistakenly reported that it was Alfred who had died instead. And so Alfred wakes up one morning, he reads the newspaper, and it says, The merchant of death is dead. The merchant of death is dead. The article continued on, and it said, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding more ways to kill more people than ever before in the history of mankind, has died. Now, As you can imagine, Alfred Nobel was stunned. He was stunned, number one, to read his own obituary in the newspaper. I think that would freak anybody out. You wake up, there's your name in the newspaper, my obituary. He was stunned for that. But secondly, he was stunned to see that this would be his legacy, the merchant of death. Well, this event became a catalyst for change in Alfred Nobel's life, and he began to advocate for causes of peace. And one year before he died... In 1896, Nobel signed his last will and testament, signing away a vast majority of his estate to establish the uh, Nobel Prizes, which uh, there are five Nobel Prizes. One of them is for peace, the Nobel Peace Prize. So in in other words, Nobel changed his legacy. He changed the mark that he would leave here on this earth. He found a new cause that was worth living for, And in light of that story of Alfred Nobel, I want to ask us all the question here this morning What cause are you living for? What is your purpose in life? What is it that drives you? What is it that when you wake up in the morning, it's what just motivates you to to walk out of the house? What is it that drives you? Is it your job? Is it um, success? Is it your career? Is it your friends? Is it that people would like you? What is it that drives you in life? What is it that when you are 80 or 90 years old, you'll be able to look back on your life and say, yeah, that's what I gave my life to. What is it? What is the legacy that you are going to leave behind? Now, these are important questions that I think we should ask ourselves, and we should ask ourselves these questions now instead of waiting until we're at the end of life, like Dr. Alfred Nobel did, because even though most of us, I don't think, will ever be remembered as the merchant of death, right? I hope none of us will be remembered that way. If we don't ask ourselves these kinds of questions before the end of life, then slowly our lives are going to begin to gravitate towards creating a lifestyle that revolves around our own personal comfort, our own personal comfort. And Now, I'm not necessarily saying that comfort is all bad, okay? We all want to be comfortable, right? We want to have nice, comfortable lives. We want to minimize risk. We want to maximize our opportunity or potential for gain. We want nice stuff. We want our kids to go to the greatest schools, and we pretty much just want to live nice, safe lives, right? And after all, that's what the Bible teaches us we're supposed to do with our life, right? Live nice, safe, comfortable lives? No. Well, today we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians where I feel like Paul really illustrates for us a way of living and it shows us the key to true happiness and meaning and purpose in life. It's a way of life that goes so far beyond our culture's understanding of happiness as the minimization of risk and the pursuit of pleasure and personal comfort. And as we'll see for Paul, true happiness is the result of living life in such a way that we are aligning ourselves with God's purposes and what he has called us to do in this life. It's a place of risk and it's a place of adventure. And so I've called my message today, a cause to live for and a cause to die for. And would you guys just join me in prayer and, um, I want to invite God's presence. I know that He's already here. I know He's moving among us. Even as we were worshiping, I sensed His presence just so strongly. But Lord, we know You're here already, but we invite You to come again. Holy Spirit, as we open Your Word this morning, God, I pray that You would put power on it. Lord, I ask that You would say things through me that I didn't intend to say before. Lord, as as we are challenged with Your Word this morning, I pray that You would convict our hearts, Lord, in the places where we do live more for our own personal comfort instead of for the cause of your kingdom. Lord, would you convict us? Would you cause us to live a life in which your cause is the most important cause? Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come, breathe life on your word and this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So I lost my voice um, the other day, so my voice is kind of messed up. Thank you, Sarah, for the water. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, and that's where we'll be this morning. And I've got it up on the screen in case you don't have your Bibles, or if you have your smartphones or iPads, whatever, go ahead and break those out too. Just don't check your Facebook status while I'm preaching. No. (laughs) If you want to do that, that's totally cool. That's totally cool. If you're quoting me. So... So Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, Paul writes, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that, and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so here in this passage, I think we see what Paul's main purpose in life is. For Paul, the driving principle of his life is to advance the cause of Christ. It is not his own personal comfort. Now, what we know from this passage is that Paul is writing from prison. We don't exactly know which prison Paul's in. We think probably in Rome. But we definitely know that Paul was not comfortable, okay, Not only was Paul in prison, he was in a first century prison, which is going to be like some of the worst imaginable circumstances that we could think of. So Paul, he's not sitting on his lazy boy recliner with his MacBook Air, typing up this letter to the Philippian church. No, that is not Paul. Paul is anything but comfortable right here. He's in jail. He's about to die for his faith. And if anyone had a cause to complain, it would have been Paul right here, writing this letter. But what does he say instead? He says, it's all worth it. It's all worth it, because I've advanced the cause of Christ. The gospel of Jesus is moving forward, even though I'm in prison. You see, for Paul, his life focus was not his own personal comfort, but was instead that the cause of Christ would be advanced. Now, Paul understood this because he had been captured by the extravagant love of Jesus. We know from the story of Paul that Paul was a religious terrorist. He was persecuting Christians, killing Christians. But on the road to Damascus, he encountered the risen Jesus. And he had this experience with God. He experienced the extravagant love of God and it completely changed his life. This is the life of Paul. He had been captured by the cause of Christ, and that's exactly what he lived for. Now, I'm talking about the cause of Christ. You might be thinking, what is the cause of Christ? Well, the cause of Christ is wrapped up in, the, in what, what, what is perhaps the most scripture, famous scripture verse in all of the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle John writes, he says, For God so loved the world, That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would instead have everlasting life. This is the cause of Christ, that every man, woman, and child would come to know the extravagant love that God has for them. And not only that they would know this extravagant love, but that they would be transformed by that same love, and that they would in turn go out into the world and share that love with other people. This is the cause of Christ. And Paul had been captured by it. So Paul's relationship with Jesus was more than just an add-on. It's not like Paul just continued to live his life persecuting Christians and living the life that he wa- the way that he did before, simply adding on Jesus for his own personal comfort. No, it was a total game-changer. For Paul, when he began to follow Jesus, he was saying... Jesus here I am. Send me. He enlisted in God's army. He got into the game. His sole purpose began became to advance the cause of Christ all across the earth. And so that's exactly what he did. He went around planting churches all throughout the Mediterranean region, completely focused on Jesus. So I want to pick up the passage again in verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up for me trouble while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this... I rejoice. You see, Paul was so focused on the cause of Christ as the key focus for his life that even when people began to undermine his leadership, even when people began to preach the gospel incorrectly, what was Paul's response? He says, So what? What's the big deal? The important thing is that the cause of Christ is advanced. And the truth is, when you begin to start living that way, where the cause of Christ is the most important thing for you in your life, you're going to notice that the church, wherever you are, no matter what church you're a part of, there are going to be some people who claim to follow Jesus who kind of get it, and there are going to be some people who claim to follow Jesus who kind of don't. Not everybody is living to advance the cause of Christ. And if you haven't fully embraced this cause for yourself, if it's not the key reason why you live your life, if it's not the thing that gets you up in the morning, then when somebody does something that you disagree with, when somebody does something wrong, it can completely knock you off your rails. And I love what Paul says here. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that the cause of Christ is advanced. So it's clear that Paul's life is focused on advancing the cause of Christ. But what is it that makes this cause so worth living for? For Paul, verse 18 Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision, that the Spirit of Jesus and the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will with sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Now, there's a couple of phrases that I want to pull out of this passage quickly that illustrate for us what I think makes the cause of Jesus so worth living for, for Paul. And the first thing he says is that Christ would be exalted in his body. Now, this is really churchy language that Paul's using here. Very religious language. Christ be exalted in our bodies. Like, who goes around saying that? That Christ would be exalted in my body. What do you mean, Paul? What what does this mean? So I think Christ being exalted in our bodies means a couple of things. All right, number one, Christ being exalted in our bodies means that we do things that are good, for our bodies, things that would glorify God. So we become productive members of society. We learn, we study the Bible, we learn the scriptures, we uh, love God with our mind, we eat right, we exercise, we do these things that would exalt Christ in our bodies. So that's the first way that we exalt Christ in our bodies. The second is that we don't do the things that would potentially harm us. Because after all, we are faced every single day with thousands of opportunities to not exalt Christ in our bodies. Every single day we're faced with the opportunity to, to look at pornography, to commit lust, to, to gossip and destroy other people's characters. We are faced with the opportunity to you know, cheat on our taxes and, and steal. We are faced with all of these opportunities to not exalt Christ in our bodies and to exalt Him means that we say no to the things that would destroy us, and we say yes to the things that advance the cause of Christ. And when we do this, Paul writes in verse 22, we will see fruit from it. He says it will mean fruitful labor for me. Now what on earth does that mean? Okay. It means that as we exalt Christ in our bodies, whether inside of the church or outside of the church, when we are doing this, we will see an impact in the lives of people. We will see lives transformed. When we are living for the cause of Christ, we are looking for opportunities to positively impact people. And for Paul, that's what makes the cause of Christ so worth living for, is that people's lives are changed. And this is something that every single follower of Jesus is invited into. It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for 50 seconds or 50 years. You are invited to get caught up in the risk and the adventure of following Jesus. And there are so many ways to do this, to live a radical life for Jesus, to take risks, to invest in the lives of other people. There are so many ways to do it. Whether it's starting up a ministry here in the church that that serves the poor in the community, or maybe it's... Um, being a premarital counselor and investing in the lives of young couples, there are so many ways to invest in the cause of the kingdom and to live a radical life for the cause of Jesus. And another big way that we can do this with our lives is through church planting and missions. Now, over the last 20 years, the church that we were a part of, the Sugarland Vineyard, planted five different churches. And a couple of months ago, uh, we planted our sixth church out of the Sugarland Vineyard, and um, Austin's an amazing city. Who's been to Austin? You guys been to Austin? We've all been to Austin. Austin is an amazing city, right? You've got beautiful rivers, you've got beautiful hills, you have the live music capital of the world. You've got such a hip scene, right? It is such. A cool place to live. We love fitness. And there's a huge fitness community there. Like, Austin is an awesome city. There's a million reasons to move to Austin. If I wanted to, I could come and I could share all those reasons and try to get you to to come with us, right? But we didn't move to Austin just because Austin is the hippest city. We didn't move to Austin because it's so cool. We didn't move to Austin for the live music scene. We moved to Austin because God wrecked our hearts. Because we had a passion, a vision. You know, we had a very comfortable life in Sugarland, Texas. I'll just say. We were part of a large church. We had huge budgets to do ministry with. I mean, it was, it was really kind of a pastor's dream. We had lots of friends. We had family. It was a very comfortable place for us. But God wrecked our hearts. He gave us this desire to build a church that didn't exist for itself, but instead a church that exists for the city of Austin, for the neighborhoods, and for the world. He wrecked our hearts with this this desire to see transformation in the city of Austin. And we couldn't say no. As hard as we tried, and... You know, I could get up here and just tell you that whole story of, you know, God wrecking our hearts and and just that whole process. But God wrecked our hearts with this desire to build a church in Austin. And as I stand here today, you know, I just can't help but wonder how many people here today that God is moving in your hearts. God is calling you to step out, to take a step of faith. Maybe it is to get involved in a church plan in Austin. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's global missions. But gee, we sure would love if you wanted to come to Austin and join us. By the way, I have Scott's permission to do this. Okay? <laughs> not, not only do I have Scott's permission to, to invite you, to, co- to try to compel you to come along with us, but he implored me to ask you because that is the kind of pastor that Scott is. He's the kind of pastor that blesses and releases. And that's really, really... Really awesome. But today, as I I, I look through this group here today, I just can't help but wonder how many here today, God has been working in your heart. He's He's been calling you to step out, to take a risk, to get caught up in the adventure of following Him. I can't help but wonder. Well, there's a pastor that I read up on sometimes. His name's Perry Noble, and he's out of South Carolina. He's a church planner. And he wrote a blog subject on this, or a blog on this particular subject, and so I wanted to share that with you guys this morning. He writes, I was having lunch with a friend at Red Lobster, and I love those little garlic cheese biscuit things. He said that, not me, but I really do love those things, don't you, Red Lobster? So, I love those little cheese biscuits. I had been restless for about six months, and I knew that God was pushing me towards something, but I wasn't sure what. What? And so I didn't want my restlessness to turn into rebellion, so I began to process it with a friend of mine out loud. And as we were sitting at lunch, he asked me this question. He said, Perry, what would you do for God if you knew that you could not fail? What would you do for God if you knew that you could not fail? Well, he says, I knew the answer. I didn't even have to think about it. It literally just flew out of my mouth. He said, I would plant a church. And he said, his friend looked him in the eye, and he said, Perry, you are a coward if you don't do it. (laughs) Literally, at that moment, he writes, I said yes to the call that I knew God had placed on my life, and I didn't have all the answers, and I still don't, he says. He says, I didn't know anything about strategy or structure or how technology would play a role in the church. There were a lot of things that I did not know, but he says, there was one thing that I did know, and that was that God had placed a dream deep inside of my heart, a dream to build a church, to plant a church. And when Dale asked me that question, it shook me and it drove me to take a dive of faith. And so this morning, I want to take the very same question that Dale asked Perry. And I want to flip it around. And I want to ask all of us here today. What, what would you do for God if you knew that He was behind you? And you knew that you could not fail? What would you do? And then I want to ask, what's stopping you from doing it? What's keeping you from doing what God has placed on your life? Because friends, there's nothing more important than that. There's nothing more important in this life that we can spend our time doing than the very thing that God has created us to do. And oftentimes we find so many things to get in the way of us actually doing what God's called us to do in our lives. But I don't know about you guys, But for me, I want to know that at least at one point in my life, I threw everything in the kitchen sink at advancing the cause of Christ, at living for the cause of Christ. I want that assurance. I want to know that. Because I don't want to reach the end of my life and be 80 or 90 years old and just say, man, I I wish that I would have invested more in the lives of other people instead of just focusing so much on my job. Or God, I wish I would have invested more time in the life of the church. I wish I wouldn't have ignored that nudging, that that small, still voice to step out and to take a risk and to sacrifice. I wish I wouldn't have ignored that, God. I want the assurance of knowing that I've given it all for the sake of the cause of the kingdom. I want to live a life of adventure instead of a life of personal comfort. And it's hard. It's not natural for us. In our culture, it is just not natural. Our culture tells us that we should be comfortable at all times. That we should never take a risk unless there's just this huge potential for reward at the end of it. That we shouldn't take risks. But, but God is calling each and every one of us. No matter where you are in your walk with Christ. If you have said yes to Him, then this is the invitation that Jesus offers you. To step out of the boat, to take a risk, to get caught up in the adventure of following him, taking risks. I think about Bert and Evelyn Wagner. Some of you may have heard of Bert and Evelyn. He was the, the, founder of the or he was actually the founder of the Sugarland Vineyard and national director of Vineyard USA. And when they started the Sugarland Vineyard, nothing was promised to them. All they had was a vision to start a church that could not be ignored. A church that defied human explanation. They stepped out. They took a risk. And so many people have benefited as a result, have come to Christ because of that. I think of Scott and Susan Turnagle. I mean, they stepped out. They took a risk. Nothing was promised them when they started this church. But today, many people are being ministered to and many people have been led to the Lord. And I know they support missionaries and church planners all over the world in the United States, all because they took a risk. And God is calling us to risk. He's calling us to step out of the boat. He's calling us to sacrifice for the sake of His kingdom. But there are so many ways that we convince ourselves that God isn't calling us. We say, God, uh, I'm too young. There's no way that you could ever use me. You know, the the older group, they would never listen to me. They don't care what I have to say. I'm just too young. You could never use me, God. I can't live for the cause of your kingdom. Or, or, or God, I'm too old. I, I just don't have the energy to do that anymore. And young people, you know, they think different than we do. And God, I just, I, I'm, I'm disqualified, God. I, I'm too old. Let those guys that have all the energy, they can do it. Let them live for the cause of the kingdom. Or, or, or God, I, I'm too single. You know, God, the married people, they just don't care what I have to say. You know, I haven't raised a family. I, I'm too single, God. Or Lord, I'm too married. God, I, I've got these kids and they've got to go to college and I don't know how I'm going to work it out. And you would never ask me to sacrifice, you know, um, you know putting my kids through the best college for the sake of your kingdom. I know, you know, you wouldn't do that, God. I'm just not qualified to, to live for the cause of the kingdom. But the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that none of that stuff matters to Him. None of that stuff matters. The Bible is full of stories of men and women who weren't qualified to do the work God had called them to do. And the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. All God wants is a willing heart. Somebody who's willing to stand up and say, God, here I am. Use me. And we have such a rich history of that here in the vineyard. And I just want to ask again, what is God calling you to step into. So we see that advancing the cause of Christ is part of what makes this cause so worth living for for Paul. But I want to close by asking, what is it that makes the cause of Christ worth dying for for Paul? Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so here, Paul paints this picture of a future life with Jesus that is so much more beautiful than his present circumstances. It's so much better than his own personal comfort here on earth. Paul paints a vision for the future that it's an amazing and glorious vision. And if we don't have this vision for a future life with Jesus, if we don't have a lens that sees beyond our current circumstances, then suddenly our personal comfort here in this life, here on this world, becomes very, very important to us. And so we need to be captured by that future life with Jesus. Paul gave his life to the cause of Christ because he had a vision that was so much greater than his current circumstances. A vision of a time where there would be no more sickness, no more tears, no more wars, no more rumors of wars. A time where we would be with God and we would be made like him. See, Paul had this vision of the future, and that vision is available to any person who would say yes to him and begin to follow him. And so what I would encourage you that today, if you have yet to begin that journey, that let this be a day that you, you do that to say yes to Christ and to be caught up in the cause of the kingdom. So I want to close just by asking again, what is your purpose in life? What is it that you are living for? Have you been so embraced by the cause of Christ that you're willing to live for it? Have you been so embraced by the cause of Christ that you're willing to die for it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You God, that um, you are at work here, you're at work in the world, and you're at work in our hearts. God, we know that you have called us to get caught up in this this adventure of following you, that following you is anything but boring, God. You've called us into this cause that, that we should live our lives for, and also, Lord, that we should even be willing to die for. And so, God, we just pray, Lord, um, that you would convict our hearts, that you would break our hearts with the things that break your heart. If there are areas in our lives where, Lord, we cling to personal comfort above your mission, Lord, I ask that that, that you would just um, give us the grace to step through that and to say yes to you and to fully embrace your cause, the cause of the kingdom here on earth.